I find myself um, feeling uh, the grief in my body, um, feeling my own and uh, perhaps feeling yours. And, um, and I, think, I think it's important to, to acknowledge that. Um, and, uh, and maybe this is uh, just where we are right now in this process. And, um, and, uh, and it's important to, to be with it and to feel it and to speak of it. Um, there's a, a stanza of a poem by Denise Levertov, and she says, to speak of sorrow works upon it, moves it from its crouched place, barring the way to and from the soul's hall. <clears throat> so that's what we're doing. We're speaking of it. We're, we're inviting it to move. We're inviting it to, uh, to reveal itself and move and, and uh, free the way. So this... Um, <clears throat> this retreat is, uh, is called Finding Our Way Through Loss and Grief to Freedom. And, um, and I, it's, I, I, I said a few words about this already, but um, just to explore it a little bit more, it's really important to see clearly that loss is intricately wound up in life, arising and passing away. They're one cycle, uh, interconnected. There is no life without loss. Everything that comes into being comes into being through uh, the coming apart and coming together of elements of which it's composed. So composing, decomposing, recycling, reconfiguring again and again in myriad ways. Um, it's how life expresses itself. And, you know, just so many examples around us. Uh, um, we're in this uh, Christian place, and one of the sayings of Jesus was that unless a seed dies, it can't bring forth life. So without a seed being destroyed, no tree can grow, no plant can grow. Um, and, you know, in the lives, in our lives, in the lives we see around us, you know, we see, uh, like my, my uh, son and my younger son and, and his wife have two young children. You know, they're bringing forth this, these new lives into the world, and it's completely changing their lives. And, and yeah, the part of how it's changing is um, a sense of loss of certain kinds of uh, experiences and ways of being. And, and as the child grows up and becomes an older child and an adult, the child loses its childness. Um, perhaps we still retain something of that child within us, 
uh, hopefully, some playfulness, some uh, curiosity and wonder. Um, and that child is gone. So, so there is no, uh, no development, no change without loss. Loss is part of an expression um, of a process that's a continual emergence and passing away, flow of energy, everything becoming something else. So we tend to pay attention to what's arising and we tend to look away or not pay much attention to what is passing away. And also the loss may be painful you know, what, what we're losing, we may feel pain, like illness and, and dying. Um, and, um, and so, um, so this is, a, this is a deep truth in Buddhist teaching. And it, it, it uh, as we contemplate this, and as we study this, and as we practice and observe how this is true in our lives, um, there's a it it's, it opens the door for wisdom, uh, for wisdom in how we hold and how we respond to and how we can be present with change in our lives. <clears throat> and the other side of practice, or the other the other half, uh, the flip side of wisdom is compassion. So. Um, so I'm going to talk a lot about compassion. So there's a difference. Oh, thank you. There, there's a diff. Is that better? There's a difference between loss and grief. Um, so loss is what I described as as the um, process of passing away. And, um, and some losses feel larger than others. And grief is the mind, emotions, and body reaching out to try to hold on to what is disappearing. So grief arises because we think that we had something, that we think that somehow something belonged to us or, or something was permanent. And, uh, and, and we love in a way that is attached. And I use that word and I say that um, really without any, I'm not judging or saying this is bad. This is, this is part of our humanity. Um, we, we have a, a, a sense of, of shared being with others um, and uh, with other people and with other non-human beings and uh, and also with with spaces with spaces around us we have a sense of connection with with spaces or um, you know, such as a, a forest a garden a town you know we we uh, can love these these places and and there's a sense of a world that is created you know with a friend with a lover in a forest in a particular um, beloved space. And um, 
And so this, you know, it, it, it becomes a part of how we, who we sense that we are, uh, this, this world that perhaps um, that we, we feel ourselves in a certain way with a particular person or we feel ourselves in a certain way in a particular space um, and, 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 we, and we cherish that. <clears throat> and sometimes, even in a, a loving relationship uh, or a, a relationship that we feel very connected to, there can be uh, strife and conflict and pain um, and a sense that things are lacking. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's still very much a deep part of who we are and uh, we feel very deeply connected and uh, attached to that. So it doesn't mean that we're just attached to things that are pleasant and beautiful, that can be very mixed. And, um, yeah, and just, and just to, to, this is such a big topic, but I just wanted to say very briefly that it's, it's also um, this, this reality of change and, um, in a sense of who we are happens not only on a personal and individual level, but it happens in groups and, you know, in definable groups. Um, a sense of ethnic identities, a sense of uh, religious, um, uh, cultural identities that, that change is happening and, and, and influences come in and, and, uh, and are, you know, a group that we might feel a sense of identity with. Um, is is changing? Is is uh, uh, we're changing, and um, other other uh, ways of being come in, and and it's not it's not a simple thing to discover, you know, how what is preservation and protection, and what is exclusion, and uh, and it's very very delicate and nuanced and. I don't think that there's, uh, I think it's something that's a, a continual process of discovery, which I think at the base of which, you know, um, when love is at the base of it all, <laughs> that's what I think keeps us from, from uh, uh, moving into a sense of closeness or isolation or protectiveness. So just, to go back, uh, it was a bit of a digression, but um, part of the bigger picture. So, um, so, so when when there's a loss in our lives, uh, someone dies, there's a separation, um, and uh, um, you know, we there that sense of that shared world may feel um, somehow empty uh, or not alive anymore. And perhaps if there was a lot of wisdom, love, um, you know, uh, nourishment in that, there might be uh, something that continues to be alive in us in that um, relationship um, within our hearts. Um, and um, 
you know, or if the relationship is fraught with pain, with, uh, with neglect, with, um, with conflict, then there might be, uh, as, as we grieve and as we consider the loss of that relationship, we might feel blocked by anger and resentment and not really able to move through a sense of processing the loss, processing the grief. So these are important, um, important ways that grief manifests and uh, I think helpful to name. So I, I want to share a little bit of my personal story which um, feels vulnerable to do it, but I, it's, it's important for me to do it because uh, it's really, for me, it's, it's, it's part of why we're here today as a, um, and having this uh, exploration. Um, so, so my older son died um, about a, a bit more than 11 years ago, and um, uh, he had mental illness, and, um, and I say that he died of mental illness, so, which is not something that we usually say, but, um, but mental illness uh, can sometimes cause people to harm themselves. And, uh, and, that's, and that's what he did. He took his own life. And um, so he was 33. And, um, and I'm, I'm sharing this because uh, it was a very difficult and painful time. And uh, it was such a great teacher. You know, I, I said that my, my first son was my greatest teacher in being born. He taught me how to love, um, love a being more than I love myself. And in dying, he taught me the deep truth of impermanence. And as I've shared my experience over the years, uh, so some people said it would be a good idea to, to uh, have a retreat or to, to talk with others about loss and grief, and so here we are. And so my life was wound up with John's in many difficult and challenging uh, ways because of his mental illness. And, um, and we also shared a lot of love and humor, and uh, he, was, uh, he was, you know, just a really extraordinary, uh, gifted person, and, um, and we had a deep bond of commitment to each other. So, uh, so when he died, I felt it very deeply in, um, you know, it still says my body, mind, heart, being. Um, it's, uh, I, it was something that it felt like a, a big wound opened up in my body energetically. And, um, and I, all I could do, I couldn't, I, you know, I, I kept thinking I should get up and do something. I should, you know, I should work in the garden. Um, but, but then my body just told me to sit down. Excuse me. And, uh, and just, uh, just be, and be present. And tune into my heart and feel my heart. It felt like it was breaking. But, um, but it wasn't. It, it was just really hurting a lot. 
uh, and um, and so I I learned to uh, to inhabit the silence uh, that had developed in my practice. I was so grateful for my practice to be able to just be uh, present and give space to um, to the grieving, to my heart uh, aching, and. Um, and I, uh, I, 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 it was so clear to me that I should not get caught up in the if only and the what if, you know, or the blaming, um, like, you know, the mental health system failed him. And all of those stories um, were just so, cl- it was so clear to me that they were a digression from just giving that, that loving, uh, consistent attention to uh, to the grief uh, that was expressing itself and and was um, wanted to be felt wanted to be known and um, and so uh, and of course you know if only I had would come up in my mind um, and uh, and that also, and, 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 and at times just being with the support of, um, of loved ones was really helpful and reassuring. And, you know, uh, you know my husband, my other son, my, my other family and friends. And, and so that was, that was also uh, an important context for the process. So one thing that I learned was the capacity of the heart to stay open, to give space to the process. Um, I really, uh, I really learned about resilience. That the heart is resilient, and um, and we can trust it, even if it feels like it's breaking. It's um, it, it it what it really wants to do is to honor what is true. Uh, not go off into stories, but to honor the truth of of what what I was feeling. And another thing that I learned um, was uh, a few months after this, uh, after John died, I wa- I I wandered into a, a country graveyard, and um, and with a, a deepened sense of compassion, I was really looking at the gravestones and, uh, and reading about the people who died there and, and really taking in how many infants have died, how many children have died, uh, how many young men died in the two wars, world wars, how many young women died in childbirth, how many people died, you know, in their 40s, you know, for unknown reasons, diseases, and so on. And so I was deeply struck by how many, many parents have wandered this, this landscape of grief that, that I had come to inhabit. So... So in a way, uh, this, this, this presence with grief 
um, was beginning, I was beginning to see how uh, being present with grief could um, somehow turn it into medicine, into medicine to be with um, others uh, in their loss, in their grief, in their pain, um, that, that I knew that I could be w with that and with myself, and so I knew I could be with it, um, with others. And as I, as I paid attention to, to the, the grief and the, the pain in my heart, now I, I also began, I, re, I remembered a teaching from one of my first teachers uh, when I was very frightened. Um, I was worried about my son, he was off traveling and he hadn't been in touch with me and, and she, uh, she was very compassionate and she said, uh, she said, look for the spaces in the fear. You know, so it's fear, yes there's fear, it keeps coming up, but look for the spaces. And I remember that teaching. And so I began also looking for the spaces in the grief. You know, and there were little spaces of peace. You know, like it would open up a little bit. And so the grief would be a little less, or there would be just kind of neutral. You know, like just a, a breathing space. And, um, and, then, and then there were even moments of happiness, you know. And, uh, and I, and then I, you know, my first reaction was, oh no, that's not allowed, I can't, can't feel that. Um, and, and, then, and then I said, you know, okay, I can open to happiness too. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so learning the impermanent nature of grief, that it, you know, so that also is uh, reassuring to know that when I open to it, it's not a bottomless pit. We, we sometimes feel that when we open to these deep feelings, like we're going to drown. It's a bottomless pit. And, um, uh, but it's not. It's not. Um, many people have said to me, um, said to me at that time, you know, it's just not supposed to be that way. You know, uh, and meaning, you know, it's not supposed to be that that children predecease their 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 parents. And I know that they were well-meaning, uh, and they, you know, uh, and it was kind of giving me space to grieve. But but there's no supposed to be when we look around. At nature, there's no supposed to be. Things happen every way. Things, uh, you know, it's it's just um, it's just life unfolding in myriad myriad ways, and and what is you know, it's just not in our control. Uh, and so, and so, giving. Our, this space to our hearts to to learn to be present to learn to be to be still to learn to attend to learn to receive gently uh, softly without you know without a uh, 
a sense of um, I need to, you know, uh, I need to always be courageous, but 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 in a soft, gentle way. We we also we also need to nourish ourselves, you know, at times with uh, with walks in nature and with music and with um, beauty and poetry and friendship. So we need to nourish ourselves as well. It's not just kind of, you know, grimly always facing, but, but uh, courageously facing what's painful. Just about a week before this retreat, um, someone gave me, uh, or someone told me about a book. Um, it's um, called The Wild Edge of Sorrow, and it's by Francis Weller. Uh, who is a psychologist and uh, he, he works with ritual. And, um, and I want to uh, briefly give you something from his book um, because I, I, I found it very rich and, um, and it could be helpful over the next, you know, our time together and, and then after the retreat as you continue to work with, um, with grief that um, uh, to maybe expand um, your uh, your focus or your or the way that we um, have uh, you know open to different forms that grief takes and for me it's been really uh, quite uh, I've only been reading the book and working with it you know for less than a week but it, it's been uh, really wonderful so. Um, so he emphasizes that for the most part, um, grief is not a problem to be solved or a condition to be medicated, but a deep encounter with an essential experience of being human. He says that bringing grief and death out of the shadow is our spiritual responsibility, our sacred duty. And he says that he wrote the book to offer ways of hosting the whole range of human experience, what he calls the commons of the soul, um, including all the joys and sorrows. And uh, our denial of loss and death leads to what he calls two, two primary sins of Western culture, amnesia and anesthesia. So we, we forget, we go into denial, we shut down, we push away, and we go numb. And we, we sometimes medicate ourselves to go numb. So Weller says that there are five gates of grief, and uh, I'm just going to briefly point to them to invite you uh, to explore your perception um, and, and perhaps include more of yourself in this process. And I've, as I said, I found this very rich for myself. I am finding this. So, um, so the first gate is what I've been primarily speaking about, and, um, and he names it Everything we, lo we love, we will lose. Everything we love, we will lose. So everything that is um, subject to change, we will lose. And, uh, and I'm just going to read a, a, a 12th century poem by Judah Halevi um, that speaks to this very powerfully. Tis a fearful thing to love what death can touch. 
to love, to hope, to dream, and oh, to lose. A thing for fools, this love, but a holy thing, to love what death can touch. For your life has lived in me, your laugh once lifted me, your word was a gift to me. To remember this brings painful joy. Tis a human thing, love, a holy thing, to love what death can touch. The second gate that he talks about is um, to grieve within ourselves the places that have not known love. And I thought this was, this is very, very interesting. And, um, and so he, he talks about the neglected places of our soul. And, and when I use the word soul, what I'm, I'm using it poetically. It's, I'm not talking about some kind of permanent entity that you know, goes on um, after death. Uh, but it's the flow and patterns and energy that shapes how we respond, feel, and act in the world. It's not something static or um, um, unchanging. So when a part of ourself is denied, uh, Weller says, we live in a condition of loss. And, and we, can't, we can't grieve for something that we feel is outside the circle of worth. <clears throat> so is there a part of you that you see as a flaw. Um, he told the story of uh, his son coming bounding into the kitchen one morning, saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And, and he was cooking breakfast, and he was you know, trying to do a whole bunch of things. And he, and he kind of said very sharply to his son, Stop it. And his son, two-year-old son, you know, was stunned and went, to his room and he stopped cooking breakfast and turned and went talked to his son and, and said, uh, you wanted something from me and I didn't give it to you. And, and, and his son said, I thought you didn't want to be my daddy anymore. And, uh, and so Weller said, no, no, it was just me, you know. I, uh, and, and, he, and, he, and he really realized how, if that had been repeated, how that, you know, exuberance could have been something that was, you know, repressed, that his son felt was somehow unwelcome. And I, you know, I asked myself, well, is there a part of me that I feel is unwelcome and, uh, or not somehow doesn't measure up or is a flaw, you know, and... Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a very quiet person, naturally. I'm a very quiet person. And, um, and I, I've always felt that, um, you know, and I, it's not, it's not some, the first time I've thought this, but it came to mind, you know, that I, uh, I've discovered, I've kind of, in my quiet, contemplative nature, it's, it's part of who I am, part of who I've, I've always been. And, and like most introverts, I've always felt this push to make myself more interesting, exciting, visible, witty. Um, I've often felt overlooked, not noticed. 
So, so that's, you know, and I, I, that resonated, like, it feels like, oh, it's not really a part of myself that I really love. Um, and so, yeah, I invite you to ask yourself, are there parts that you feel are outside of the circle of worth? And um, so we need to offer this internal space of gentle holding and welcoming and opening up to these aspects, uh, to welcome them back into the, into the light, uh, to take them out of the shadow. And um, so even what has been pushed away and, and it can be really helpful to have uh, supportive uh, people in our lives that we can share this process with and talk about. The third gate that Weller talks about is uh, the sorrows of the world. And, um, and that's, uh, I think, such a um, powerful one that we, it's so hard to keep the heart open when we hear so much about the destruction of um, of the systems of the natural world, the loss of the rich diversity, and the also the sufferings of war, of famine, of, of oppression, of racism. Um, uh, sometimes we just want to turn off our hearts because it. It feels too difficult, it feels overwhelming. And, um, and one of the uh, uh, great teachers of our time, Joanna Macy, uh, who is a Dharma and the ecology teacher, um, deep, deep ecology, and she, she created exercises to work with despair um, so that we could keep showing up and, um, and, and try to change the direction of, of uh, toward death that is around us. There's a verse from a, a poem called Kindness by Naomi Shihab Nye <coughs> that I'm going to read. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. And the size of the cloth is the whole earth. And then the fourth gate that Weller talks about is, um, is what we expected and did not receive, what we expected in our life and did not receive. So, so a lot of this is unconscious, but in some way we expected to, to share our gifts, we expected to feel a sense of belonging, we expected to to be connected to a web of relationships, a whole village, and uh, and that's that's scarce in our world today. This sense of these sense of connections, these, and um, and most of us don't grow up experiencing this. 
So when we don't find this connection and engagement, we may feel empty. We may feel hollow and our life is not flowing through. It's not a part of something larger. And, uh, and that can be a cause of sorrow and grief. And so it's, it's helpful to acknowledge that, to, um, to be with that. Uh, and perhaps, um, you know, and, and also to trust that, that also things change and, and to perhaps help us find the places where we are bringing our gifts and we are um, making meaningful connections. And then the fifth gate he, he calls ancestral grief. So, um, so the grief of social, the social, historical oppression, slavery, genocide. The genocides that have been experienced um, over many, many years, but the genocide of indigenous people on this continent, in other continents, the genocide of of uh, the Jewish people, the Armenian genocide, Rwanda genocide, the Rohingyan genocide, um, so many genocides. And these, these are still, they may have actively stopped, but the wound is still there. And so the impact is still being felt generation after generation. And then familial um, ancestral grief. So there may be shame around stories of a, a family um, family history. There could be shame around addiction, uh, of sexual abuse, domestic violence, um, criminal acts. So these these stories may be hidden, pushed down, um, not spoken about, and yet somehow they're they're felt, they're known, and um, and so so uh, it can be helpful to acknowledge that, to acknowledge these. <clears throat> so this is so these. Opening to these is a, um, a gentle, gradual process to in- invite grief out, to be gently received in the warmth of our heart, of our mindfulness, and then also remembering to, to nourish ourselves with companionship, friendship, um, beauty, nature, uh, to uh, renew the heart as well. So it's, um, it's, there's like a, um, a rhythm of, uh, of reaching out and nourishing ourselves, uh, connecting with others and getting support, and, and then turning inward and being present with the landscape of, the, the continually changing landscape of grieving. <coughs> as a a poem by Rumi, which talks about this, 
um, very beautifully. Your grief for what you've lost lifts a mirror up to where you are bravely working. Expecting the worst, you look, and instead, here's the joyful face you've been wanting to see. Your hand opens and closes, and opens and closes. If it were always a fist, or always, a st- or always stretched open, you would be paralyzed. Your deepest presence is in every small contracting and expanding, the two as beautifully balanced and coordinated as bird wings. So the other side of this teaching, um, and which I referred to in the beginning, uh, is what I'm calling the wisdom view. The wisdom view of non-self, of dependent origination, that everything is a process, that everything is a flow of energy becoming something and passing away moment by moment, dependent on more conditions than we can possibly ever know. So our ideas of birth and death give us a misperception that there's something that has a solid existence out there and when the reality is that we and everything around us is nothing but change. A few months after my son died, I was speaking with my primary teacher and I, and I told him about my experience of grieving and I said that I had discovered that the mind reaches out to love an object in this case, my son. But when I accept that the object is not there and the reaching stops, that the love is still there. So the love is still alive. And, um, and so, uh, and, that was, and that was very comforting to me. And, um, and I, so I shared it with him and he replied that the object was never there. Um, and so that was hard to hear. Um, I couldn't quite take that in at the time. Uh, it seemed very severe teaching. Um, and, um, and it took me quite some time to, to be with that and sit with that. Uh, and. And, um, and then I uh, actually began to feel that he had trusted me with that clarity of wisdom. And, um, and so, so can we open to these simultaneous realities you know, that, we, that we dance and that there's no one dancing? And, um, and that we love and the person or form that we love is really a process, a flow of life, not a permanent or solid being, um, or is a being in the sense of a verb, not a noun. Um, And that the sense of that person 
somehow being out there, some solid object that we're in relation with is something that we create with our minds, with our perceptions. And so, uh, so we, in a way, we, we're, we love a kind of a dream. And, and that's, that's that human experience of loving, which is uh, that which will be lost. And at the same time, it's, it's so essential that we honor and, and that we heal our grief. So maybe I'll read just a very short poem by David White to end. And then we can take a minute just to sit. It's called The Well of Grief. Those who will not slip beneath the still surface on the well of grief, turning downward through its black water to the place we cannot breathe, We'll never know the source from which we drink, the secret water, cold and clear, nor find in the darkness glimmering the small round coins thrown by those who wished for something else. So let's sit for just a minute. May our practice in our lives, our grieving, our loving, our healing, become medicine for the happiness, well-being, and liberation of all beings.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.